All right. This is quite strange. Um, it's good to be here with everybody. It's good to be here with you guys. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that we have the technology to do this and to be able to be together and worship God together. Uh, we're going to come back to our normal series. We've been working through the book of Acts, and we're up to Acts 15. We're going to look at Acts 15, verses 1 to 21 today. And so if you... well. I'm hoping that you have a Bible at home. I'm praying you have a Bible at home, at least one. Make sure you grab the Bible and open it up to Acts 15. Usually we have it, we have it printed in the bulletin and it's been sent to you. You can follow along there, but I encourage you to actually use your Bible and uh, open it up and you can look at context and things like that. Um, so turn to Acts 15. And uh, I thought, you know, even though um, we're just kind of going through the book of Acts, uh, just to remind you, the book of Acts is about God building his church. The book of Acts is about God, uh, by his power and by the power of the Holy Spirit, growing his church, growing the number of people who come to know that Jesus is real and that he's risen from the dead and that he is the answer to life. And God is growing the church in spite of huge obstacles, all sorts of different obstacles. That's what happens in Acts. You see one obstacle after another, and yet God just continues to to cause the church to explode and grow. And so it's entirely appropriate that we're looking at the book of Acts because, I don't know about you, but I feel like this is definitely an obstacle, right? This is definitely an obstacle, and yet I am completely confident that God is able to grow us as a people and to grow his church in spite of the obstacles and the limitations that we might be dealing with right now. So um, we're going to look at Acts 15. Uh, At this point, uh, Acts 15 is is a passage where uh, there's basically a council that comes together in Jerusalem of a lot of the leaders of the church. And they come together because as the the message of Jesus has been going out, the first believers were Jewish people who came to believe in Jesus. But as as the message is going out, and as Paul has been taking the message of Jesus out, more and more Gentiles and people who are not Jewish are becoming Christians and and trusting in Jesus. And and there are some of of the Jewish Christians who are now saying, wait, 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 wait. If you want to be a believer in Jesus, that's great, but, but first, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to become Jewish. You need to get circumcised. You need to accept the, all of the laws of Moses that Moses wrote, that God wrote through Moses all these years before, all of the, the ceremonial laws, all, all of the laws that God gave to Moses. You need to accept those and take those upon yourself. So you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to follow all of these laws. And that presented the church with a, with a crucial question that they had to answer. Crucial. What is required of me if I want to, to have salvation, if I want to be saved? In other words, what is required of me, what is required of anyone, if they want to know God? And particularly in our circumstances today, if, if you want to have real, deep peace and joy in the midst of anxiety because you know that God is with you and that he loves you and that he's working in your life, what is required of you? Okay, And so that's why the church comes together here. So listen to God's word as I read from Acts 15. I'm going to read Acts 15, 1 to 21. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the the apostles and the elders about this question. 
So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, and God who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us now as we look at these words from the book of Acts. Um, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes because that's what we need. We need your spirit to open our eyes, to open our hearts to what you want to teach us. Father, we pray that, uh, that in spite of our, our, the limitations, the obstacles that we're dealing with right now, that uh, whether we're sitting here in this room or sitting in our living room or our bedroom or whatever, Father, we pray that, that your spirit would work powerfully through your word and that you would change your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. People are troubled. People are troubled right now, are they not? Um, you probably don't have to be convinced of this. I, 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 you know, look around my own house. I look in my own mirror and I see that people are troubled. I, uh, I look at um, social media and I see that people are troubled with what's going on in our world right now. People are troubled. They are, there are some people who are scared. There are some people who are anxious. There are some people who are frustrated and angry. There are people who are just struggling to deal with uncertainty of life of the very next day. Um, what we're going to be able to do and not do, things like that, where we can go and not go. People are troubled. 
And, uh, and that's what this, this virus that has been spreading around the world has been doing to everyone. It's, it's a troubling thing. Um, in this passage, we see James point out that this group of Jewish Christians is troubling Gentiles who have come to believe in Jesus. In, in verse 19, he's, he, when he makes his judgment, he says, let's not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. These people who are saying, you know, you have to be circumcised as well as believe in Jesus. So they're troubling the Gentiles. They're, they're, they're making them maybe fearful, anxious, uncertain about their standing, about, you know, what life, you know, how, how life can be um, good and how they can know God. They're, they're being troubled. Um, and yet it's, it's not, a, you know, a dangerous physical virus that is troubling them. I would, I would argue that it's, it's a spiritual virus that is troubling them. It's a spiritual virus. It's, it's, a, it's a virus that the, the leaders of the church get together and talk about because it's, they need to take it extremely seriously. Because the spiritual virus is something that, that not only can trouble people, but it can actually bring death spiritually. And it can spread very easily. The virus is stated in verse 1. Stated in verse 1 is that the Jewish Christians, they come down from Judea and they say, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. That's the virus that, is, that, that the people are susceptible to, that, that, that they're trying to encourage people to believe. This virus that says, in order to be saved, in order to, to be restored in a relationship to God, in order to know God, in order to have real peace, in order to experience life as it was made to be experienced, what I have to do is, to, is I have to believe in, in Jesus, but I, but I also have to, to become Jewish. I have to become circumcised. I have to follow the laws of Moses. I have to do this list of things, or else God's not going to love me. That's the virus that, that, that people are being encouraged to, to, to be infected by. And as I said, it, it can spread easily. We are extremely susceptible to this. The people back then are susceptible to this. We today are susceptible to this, and it needs to be taken extremely seriously. The virus says, again, that in order to be saved, in order to know that God has forgiven you and that he loves you and that he's on your side, you have to do this. You have to do this list of things as well as believe in Jesus. You know, for our situation, it might be, you know, you, ha- you have to look a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. You have to, to do a certain list of things. You have to volunteer or else you're not saved. You have to go to church enough times or you're not saved. Um, this is the virus that, that we're totally susceptible to. And yet the council in Jerusalem, the, the leaders of the first church say, no, no, absolutely not. They say in verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. The way that anyone is saved, the way that anyone comes to know God and know that they are loved and forgiven by him. The the only way that, that you can come into a relationship with God that is healthy, it's not by doing things, it's by receiving God's love through his grace in Jesus. It's by receiving God's love as a gift. It's by receiving what he has done for us rather than by trying to earn it by doing things. 
It's by receiving his grace. What is grace? Grace is God's favor, his love that is given to those who do not deserve it. This is an absolutely crucial question that we need to, we need to come to terms with for ourselves. You know, just as, as this virus is extremely dangerous, and everybody's very aware of how dangerous this, this is and, and, and the, the, the potential of it, we need to realize that this is just as important. I would argue even more so, because this deals with something that is eternal. It deals with something that is eternal. You're standing before God, your relationship with him, being able to know him and, and, and know that he loves you. And so they're clear about it. It's only by grace. It's only by grace. It's only by the gift of what he has done for you. So they make it absolutely clear. And, 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 and what they do here in this passage, I think, what we see here in this passage is, is several, several um, things that, that point us to why this virus, this infection, the spiritual infection, can be so dangerous for us why we need to guard against it, against believing that what I do can impact how God feels about me, can impact my relationship with him and his acceptance of me and his love. So I see three things, three dangers here, three things why, why this is so dangerous, this infection. Number one, um, to believe that what I do makes me acceptable to God will end up crushing my soul. It will crush me. It is too heavy for me to bear. It's too heavy for me to bear. In verse 10, Peter says, you're placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. To to tell people to obey all of the laws of Moses, including circumcision and all the other ceremonial laws, what you're doing is, is you're placing something that is so heavy on them that they will not be able to bear it. We haven't even been able to bear it, is what Peter says. You know, the Jewish people, as, as hard as we maybe have tried to obey all of the laws, we haven't been able to do it. It's been too heavy. To try to, to try to think that I can sustain my relationship with God by doing all of the right things, it not only crushes me, it drives me completely, completely into the ground. The picture that I have in my mind as I was thinking about this is all of those old cartoons that we used to watch. I, like an example might be Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. You know, Wile E. Coyote always sets up a trap to, to take down Roadrunner. And maybe he, he uses this giant anvil that he buys from Acme. And, uh, and, and he sets it up so that it'll fall on the Roadrunner, but the Roadrunner just like flies right past it, and then it like starts falling off the cliff, and Wile E. Coyote ends up being under it, right? And, and what can he do as he watches it fall? Does he have any hope of trying to catch that thing and keep it off of him? No. It, it not only flattens him, but it drives him into a hole, an anvil-shaped hole into the ground, right? That is a picture of the weight of the law of God, all of the law of God, whether it's the ceremonial law that says that people have to do all of these sacrifices and, and, and be circumcised, or the moral law, all of it. Is, is too heavy. God's standard for us isn't just, you know, do your best to do as much of this as you can. No, God's standard is to do it all perfectly. And there is no one who has been able to do that. And Peter recognizes that. He's like, why are you guys trying to tell them to, to take this, this law and try to hold it up and do it all? Because we have never been able to do it. It will crush you if you wake up in the morning thinking that how you behave today 
will impact how God feels about you. When we wake up in the morning or, or when, we, when we go through the day and, and, and we look back on our day and we're like, how, how did I do? You know, do, do you think God you know, is disappointed in me? And, and I, I mean, every single one of us, if you're honest, you can look back on your day and, and if you think that the way that you fulfilled all of the laws of God is what gives you a good relationship with God, you're going to be like completely discouraged and depressed. I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm looking at my, my past week. I don't know about you guys, but we've all been cooped up in our homes a lot more with all of the people that we love, and we've been you know, in each other's faces a lot more. And I know, for me, I've been short with them. I've been insensitive. I've been impatient. I've been selfish. And, and I've seen it so much more. And, and, and if I look back on my week and I say, okay, um, God's love for me, the fact of, of my being saved is dependent on how well I did loving my family, I'm just going to have to curl up in a ball right here. Would that be on camera? Yeah. I'd have to curl up in a ball right here and just cry. Because I can't do it. I can't do it no matter how hard I try. And if you're honest with yourself, neither can you, it will crush you. That's why it's dangerous to think that if I can do enough, then God's going to love me. He's going to accept me. We can't do enough. Secondly, it tests God. It puts God to the test in that same verse. He says, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? Why are you putting God to the test? Why does Peter say that? Well, um, there are some places in the Old Testament where often people are accused, God's people are accused of putting God to the test. And you can look at it this way. One, one reason that, that they are accused of putting God to the test is because God has clearly said one thing, and they're saying, no, we're going to do something else. For example, when the people come out of Egypt, and, and God rescues them from Egypt, and they all come out, and God shows them that he's going to, he tells them, I'm going to lead you to a land that I've promised you, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. I want you to follow me. He's, he tells them that, and he shows them that in all sorts of ways. And yet, the people say, no, I think we're going to go back. This is too hard. This is too scary. God, I don't believe you're actually going to give us what we need to drink and to eat. I don't really think you're going to protect us. I think we're going to be better off going back to Egypt. And, and that's when God says, why are you testing me? I've clearly told you what is true. Why are you putting yourself in the place of teacher and trying to tell me what is true? And, and that's what you see here as the different guys stand up and speak in this council, right? First, Peter stands up and, and, and clearly tells the people, this is what clear, God has clearly said is true. Remember when Peter stands up, he says, remember when, when I went to the Gentiles and I preached the gospel to them, I shared the gospel to them, and what happened? They believed, they received it. Did they have to be circumcised? Did they have to become Jewish in order to be accepted by God? No, God poured out his spirit upon them, just as he did to us in verse 8, right? God demonstrated the fact that they were accepted as they were. Not, he didn't wait until they started doing all the right things. Peter says it's clear. God has shown us. And then, and then Paul and Barnabas stand up 
And they talk about how, how when, when they preached to the Gentiles and all the Gentiles were becoming Christians, in verse 12, they said um, they, they, they related the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Again, as they were telling the Gentiles about Jesus and the Gentiles were responding and God was, was doing all of these demonstrations of power, healing people, casting out demons, doing all of these supernatural things. Again, saying God, God is saying, this is what I want. This is what is true. The Gentiles, no, they don't need to become Jewish. They just need to receive what I'm giving them by my grace. And then finally, James stands up. James is, this isn't James the disciple. This is James's, uh, Jesus' half-brother who then becomes the primary leader in the Jerusalem church. He stands up. And some people might think that maybe he's you know, more on the, the, the Jewish side of things and he will like, stand up for the guys who are saying, no, we should you know, have them be circumcised. But he actually stands up and he says, guys, look. Look at the Old Testament. Look at what the prophets have told us. You know? In addition to what Peter is saying now, in addition to what Paul and Barnabas are saying now, look at what the prophets said, who've, who said this hundreds of years before Jesus even came, before we've even been sharing the news of Jesus with people. What did the prophets say? The prophets said the Gentiles were going to be welcomed by God. They're called by God's name, the Gentiles, as they are. As he quotes one of the prophets, this is just one example of many places in the Old Testament where the prophets are saying God's message is not just for the Jewish people, but for all the nations to come to him. And so over and over again, we see in this passage, it's clear. God has said, you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to follow all the Jewish rules in order to be saved, in order to be accepted by God and forgiven and known by him and loved. You just have to receive his grace. You have to believe in him. You have to trust him and receive the gift of what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ, as he lived the perfect life, as he died on the cross to pay for our sin, and as he rose from the dead, conquering sin, setting us free from the power of sin. That is what we must do. Don't put yourself in the place of teacher. God has clearly said, receive my grace. If you want to know me, if you want to know that you are loved by me, receive my grace. Don't try to earn it by doing things. So every time, we, every time I, I, I get kind of bummed out because I messed up and I'm like, oh, God must not love me as much, I'm testing him because <laughs> I'm telling myself something that God has clearly said the opposite of. God clearly says, because of Christ and what Jesus has done, no matter what I have done in the past or how I will mess up today or tomorrow, I am forgiven and loved, and he's with me. Don't test him. Lastly, a, a dan- one of the big dangers about the, uh, this idea, and, and you could, a lot of people in, in, in uh, church history have called this legalism, to believe that, that what I do is what gets me access to God, rather than just receiving his, his, his presence as a gift. Um, one of the big dangers is that it confuses the Christian. It confuses the issue. Um, because, you know, as I read this passage, I, I actually I find it kind of confusing as I get to the end, right? Because they, they clearly say, okay, it's by God's grace. Don't tell them they have to be circumcised to, be, to become Christians. It's by God's grace and what God gives to them. But then James says, 
But we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood. He, James ends up giving them some rules to do. What? That's, what, what are you, this is confusing. Why are you giving us rules after you just told us that we, you know, it's all about just receiving God's grace? It's confusing. Um, see, what happens is, is one thing that happens when this infection begins to spread among us, that what I do gives me access to God. What I do, um, God's love for me is dependent on my ability to fulfill the rules, is that some people will react by saying, okay, no, it's not because of what I do. It's only because of what God, God has done for me. And so what I do does not matter at all. I can almost even celebrate that I can do anything that I want to do. And that doesn't matter. It's kind of the opposite of legalism. That, that, that I'm not going to, you know, I, I believe what I do doesn't affect God's love for me. So I'm just going to go out and just like get crazy. And do whatever I want. Who cares? Right? Um, when I was in college, I, I, God like radically changed my, my life when I was a, a senior at college. And I, I started hanging out with a lot of Christians and, and getting to be friends with other Christians. And some of them were younger than me. And then I graduated. And my wife and I still lived in the area after I graduated for a little while. And one time I hurt, I got a cut on my finger, I had to go get stitches at the, at the emergency room late at night. I came out of the emergency room, and the house that I used to live in with these other Christian guys was right across the street from the hospital, and I saw a guy sitting on the porch. And I'm like, oh, I must know him, I should go say hi to him. So I, I walk over there, after I came out of the emergency room, it's like, you know, 11.30 at night, 12 o'clock. And as I get closer, I'm like, that guy's naked. He's just <laughs> sitting on the porch, thank you, Art. I, I, I appreciate the feedback. There's a guy, one of my friends, is sitting there naked on the porch, and he's absolutely drunk. Totally drunk. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, what are people thinking as they drive by of you? You know? Um, and it's kind of a funny story, but, but there was this group uh, of, of friends that I had who who I know that, that they were like so committed to, to celebrating the fact that, that God wasn't pleased with them because of what they did, that they went out and they just like did as crazy things as they possibly could do. Thinking that, you know, how I live does not matter at all. And I think what James is saying here at the end, the, the, the rules that he's giving them to the people, is to say, okay, you're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what God has done for you. But don't forget that how you live reflects what you think about God and your relationship to him. It reflects how you are able to interact with other people. It, it, it impacts how you, how you relate to other people. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, the, if you think about these, these you know, things that he tells them to do. He says, you know, abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality. I mean, that seems to be a no-brainer. I mean, if we, if we believe that God has saved us, um, you know, idols, sexual immorality was a, was a part of the fabric of the Gentile world at the time. Um, and so uh, if, if we believe that God has saved us and that he loves us, we should want to kind of break away from, from, from the, the rest of what the world is doing and live in a way that, that honors him that reflects his holiness, that reflects the fact that he alone is worthy of our worship. You know? 
And, and then think about it. He says, when, when, uh, abstain from things that are strangled and from blood. These are some of the, the rules that, that the Jewish people had about what they ate. They were not allowed to eat things that had blood in them or that, that were strangled. Okay? So think about this. As Gentiles became Christians, if they wanted to have a Jewish person over for dinner and they served something with blood in it, what would that do? How would the Jewish person react? It would, it would put a barrier between that person, the, the Gentile and the Jewish person. It would offend them. It would, it would keep them from being able to have fellowship with one another. It would impact their relationship. And so I, I think like these, these laws, these rules that, that James is giving them to, to try to follow are, are things that, that, that will help to bring greater fellowship with the people between the Gentiles and Jews. You know, don't just think of yourself and what you're able, you know, what you have a right to eat, but think about how it will impact your relationship with other people. I mean, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians a lot. You know, we, we know that he, he talks about how it's fine to eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. We know that that's not going to impact our relationship with God, but we know that, that there are people who do believe that. And so I urge you to think about what will build that relationship up first and to go without, you know. So it's what, following these laws will impact their relationship with the Jews, will, will help with fellowship in the church, and also it will impact their witness to the Jewish people. At the very end, James says, For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. James is reminding them that, that there are Jewish people in every city. And so the way that the Gentiles respond to God and, and live their lives are going to impact how those people view the church and view God. We need, to be, we need to be thinking about that. And so, so the way that we live matters. And that's why it can be really confusing to say, okay, the, it's, it's not about what we do, but you need to remember that the way that we live matters. And the way that reflect, it reflects what we think about God and, and how much we love him, it reflects how it impacts our ability to love people around us. It confuses the Christian. All right, right now we are faced with this virus that is dangerous. It's threatening more so to some than others. And as a result, we are taking all sorts of drastic measures. This is one example, right? We're taking drastic measures to try to prevent the spread of this virus, to try to care for those who who might contract the virus and try to help the the medical professionals to be able to deal with those who contract the virus. We're we're doing all sorts of drastic things. We're staying six feet apart. We are uh, staying on the other side of a a computer screen or TV screen. We are washing our hands incessantly, hopefully, and properly. My hands, I've been washing my hands so much, my hands are like totally dried out. I'm like putting lotion on my hands all the time. My sons are making fun of me. We're doing all sorts of drastic things to avoid people contracting the virus. Um, I think as a church, as, as God's people, we need to be just as vigilant. We need to be willing to do things that are just as drastic to remind ourselves what it is that sustains our relationship to God, what it is that gives us a relationship with God, what it is that, that earns us his love. Is, is, is it the things that I do, you know, trying really hard to be a good person, doing all, all the right religious things, going to church, reading my Bible enough, praying a certain amount a day, 
volunteering, going on mission trips or things like that, volunteering in my community, is, is it that that makes God love me? No. Let me remind you, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. That is what saves us. That is what can give you peace today. The grace of the Lord Jesus. What Jesus has done for you that you have not earned, that you don't deserve. We need to be, we need to be going out of our way, taking drastic measures to remind ourselves of that. You know, maybe, maybe every time I wash my hands, remind me that God has washed me through the work of Jesus Christ. Every time I wash my hands, remind me that God loves me because of Jesus. Not because I have the perfect technique. We need to remind ourselves. We need to go out of the way to remind one another that it's only by God's grace that we can live and particularly in a, in a world that is uncertain and, and that produces anxiety and fear, that we can have security and peace. That is where we need to, we need to plant our feet. That's the air that we need to breathe. It's the grace of God that's enough for us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us, Father, that, that, that we would know that your love for us is not dependent on how perfect we behave, how, how well we do, uh, trying to be good people, that, it's, that it's, it's given to us freely through Jesus. Help us to believe that. Help us to believe that you are absolutely good and that you love us and you delight in us. And Father, help us to, uh, to know that your grace is enough. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.